0: Welcome back to the Cold War, episode 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we're getting into it. Well, as we saw at the end of episode 69, the Cold War has officially started. Uh, in yeah. The fact that Truman and Churchill not only have neglected to tell Stalin about the development of the atom bomb, neglected to give him any details about the first test of it or their plans to use it, but uh even talked about uh dropping it on him and yeah. uh he probably knows all about that because he's got their rooms bugged so yeah. this is the start of the i guess the nuclear arms race right here
1: yeah how do you not take that personally
0: now we want to keep talking about Japan in this episode and and want to drill into some of the issues involving the Potsdam Declaration, as it's known, um, and also on the decision to use the atomic bomb on the Japanese. Now, the Potsdam Declaration on Japan was, was tricky. Uh, f- for a start, it was drafted while Churchill was still prime minister. Hmm. Uh, in fact, it was probably one of the last things he did as prime minister, was yeah. to help craft that. But it was signed by Clement Attlee.
1: Ooh. that got to hurt. Now, Stalin... Yeah. I was just going to say, at this point, uh, there's a lot of rumors going around about the statement about Japan. Um, several proposals had been floating around. Uh, the leaders of the United States and the UK, the press was uh, going all over the place with the rumors. Were they going to invade? Were they going to get rid of the emperor? Uh, that kind of thing. So, James Burns at some point, uh, July 19th, says, look, we've got to do something. We've got to make some kind of an out announcements or nail this down. We've got to end all these rumors, because these rumors are not helping the cause at all.
0: Before we get to that, I still want to talk about the signing of the declaration. So Stalin had to be involved, obviously, in the creation of this, but he couldn't sign it because the Soviet Union was still technically under (laughs) the neutrality pact with Japan. Truman also wanted Chiang Kai-shek to sign it, which means that it needed to be translated and sent to him at his remote headquarters near Chongqing in central China and then come back so that was going to delay it etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. the final text gave japan an opportunity to end this war before it said the prodigious land sea and air forces of the united states the british empire and of china many mm-hmm. times reinforced by their armies and air fleets from the west are poised to strike the final blows upon Japan until she ceases to
1: resist. Yeah, don't make us do to you what we were forced to do to Germany. It warned that the
0: might that now converges on Japan is immeasurably greater than that which, when applied to the resisting Nazis, necessarily laid waste to the lands, the industry, and the method of life, of the whole German people. But when I read this, the first mm-hmm. thing that came to mind for me, Ray, was yeah. state Shinto and Bushido. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth keeping in mind that for many of the Japanese military in this period, they prided themselves on their particular militaristic interpretation of the Bushido Code.
1: Right. Do you know much about Bushido, Ray? Um, I know it's something you can't order when you go into a restaurant. They look at you funny. No, um, just like the German officers could not surrender until – Hitler was dead because they had they had uh, taken a personal oath of loyalty to him. The Japanese just can't willy nilly put down their swords and weop- not their swords or weapons because of because uh, of centuries of this culture, the warrior code Bushido, the way of the uh, the way of the warrior. Here's what little I know, and then I'll let you wax eloquent. Uh, it's a Japanese collective term for the many codes of honor and ideas that uh, dictated the samurai way of life, loosely analogous to the concept of chivalry and. Europe the way originates from the samurai moral values, most commonly stressing uh, some combination of sincerity, frugality, loyalty, martial arts mastery, and honor until death so it's not a matter of these guys having a choice as far as the uh, the military which pretty much runs japan uh s- the war and its civil civilian side they don't have an option they cannot uh, they cannot just give up because it is the it is greater than the uh what they'll suffer from death. Death is preferable to the shame of defeat.
0: Exactly. Now, in the classic book on Bushido, uh, called Bushido, The Soul of Japan, by Inazo Nitobi, written in 1899, he says Bushido translates as military knight ways, the Mm. ways of the military knight. Uh, Here are some crazy numbers. By the end of the 19th century, can you guess how... What percentage of the Japanese population were samurai?
1: I have no idea. I'm going to say ten percent.
0: Yeah, between five and ten percent is the estimate. Oh, okay. Were samurai?
1: Yeah, some serious shit.
0: <laughs> you know, we were talking in the bullshit filter about uh, America and gun violence and how the fact, uh, <coughs> well, the, the the argument that a lot of people use: oh, America's just got a violent past. We've got a violent past. Yeah, yeah. Ten <laughs> percent of Japan in nineteen hundred were fucking samurai. You think oh, you, man. you think you got a violent past? <laughs> and there's no well- gun violence in Japan. Okay, there's a lot of samurai sword violence. Sure, no gun violence.
1: (laughs) you got to take the good with the bad. No, but see the thing, and this is what little I know about the way of the warrior. Yes, you you become proficient in some kind of arms, the sword, bow and arrow, whatever, that kind of stuff. But there's also a code of respect, of decency that you're probably going to go into. So it's more than just getting really good with a weapon. There's this whole philosophy that comes with it that supposedly, to some degree, until the military absconded with the idea of Bushido Mm. that tempers the use of force. Yeah, exactly. I remember,
0: you know, when I was a young guy, I studied karate, uh, Shotokan karate, Japanese uh, school, Japanese tradition. And it was, -hmm. uh, I I don't know, I was probably seven or eight, I don't know, when I started learning karate. And um, it was driven into us from the very get-go that this is for self defense only. You should avoid mm-hmm. fighting at, at every possibility. Uh, you should run away if you can get away. Avoid fighting whenever you can. If you can't avoid fighting, we're going to give you the skills to take a motherfucker down. But if right. you can, you should avoid it. You are never under any circumstances should you start violence. You should always avoid Absolutely. violence. That was you know was built into it. Um. Now, uh, the 5 to 10% I mentioned, there was a census taken at the end of the 19th century, counted 1,282,000 members of the high samurai allowed to ride a horse, and 492,000 members of the low samurai who were allowed to wear two swords but not to ride a horse. The population of the country was about 25 million. So, you know, roughly 1.7 million out of that 25 million was samurai, uh, which is mm. fucking badass if I had a t- had a tardis i'd I want to go back and you know see Check that Japan out. with samurai walking around now um <clears throat> under the Bushido ideal, if a samurai failed to uphold his honor, he could only get it back by performing seppuku ritual. Ooh. Suicide, which we've all seen yeah. in uh, in uh, the movies. Uh, Merry Christmas, Mister Lawrence, and uh, what's the fucking TV show? Showgun with Showgun,
1: the the, yeah. phil-
0: the TV show based on Philip K. Dick's uh, story. Oh.
1: oh, the man of the high the castle. The man of the
0: high castle. You beat Google by half a second, then. Uh,
1: <clears throat> yeah, now in.
0: Uh, an excerpt from a book I've got by uh, historian Stephen Turnbull, Samurai, the World of the Warrior. Because I you, – you, you many people may not realise this, but I consider myself a podcast samurai. I'm the original podcast sure. samurai. I don't carry two swords. I carry two microphones. Two microphones. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Boom. And I carry my two co-hosts, Jay David Markham and, and Ray Harris. Uh, I wield them like swords. Very sparingly. Uh, well, you know,
1: my good friend, um, I'll take that fifty-dollar drink over there if you don't mind. Yeah, keep them coming. Um,
0: now, he uh, Stephen Turnbull describes uh, the role of seppuku. In feudal Japan, he said in the world of the warrior, seppuku was a deed of bravery that was admirable in a samurai who knew he was defeated, disgraced or mortally wounded. It meant that he could end his days with his transgressions wiped away and his reputation not merely intact, but actually enhanced. So it's a bit like. Going to confession as a Christian, right. you can go out there and do all sorts of horrible shit. But if you go to confession before you die and say, "Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned," he's I mean got to—he's got to do it. It's yeah. in—it's in the fucking contract, and <laughs> okay. you enter into heaven with a fucking clean bill of health, man. They, no one can go. But hold on, you—you you raped four hundred children, and you were a fucking priest. No. No. You, you raped four hundred children, no. and you were a priest. You were supposed to be their protector. Hey, motherfucker! I confessed. I'm in. I get into heaven, motherfucks.
1: Okay. I'm gonna have nightmares tonight. <laughs> Clean slate, motherfucker. Why do you think? Why do you think we invented
0: this confession shit? Jesus, Jesus didn't talk about no confession shit. No. St. Paul didn't talk about confession. No. We just invented it later on, Catholic priests. We were nice. like, you
1: we know, want to hear some dirty talk.
0: You know, once, they, once the Catholics, as we've seen in, in the early episodes of our uh, Renaissance series, when the Catholics did their deal with the Pope, Constantine, sorry, with the Emperor mm-hmm. Constantine, they just, as we will see in upcoming episodes of The Renaissance Show, they just started fucking killing and raping <laughs> and burning shit down. God. And they just said this, this orgy of violence and bloodshed that lasted for 1,500 years. It was fucking great. But at oh, some God. point they went, you know what, we, we've done a lot, a lot of shit. Yeah. Um, we're probably not gonna get into heaven. I mean, just between you and me, I don't believe any of it exists <laughs> anyway. Face. I don't uh, believe it But it if exists. there but, is, is would we better we better come up with a, a way of getting a clean bill of health. I don't know. We'll just confess. Just think of this as like just just <laughs> think of this as an idea. Okay, Why don't you pretend you weren't raised a Catholic,
1: right? Okay.
0: You weren't raised a Catholic. You became well, one, no, wasn't. Right? Yeah, you became one. Yeah, well. Pretend is you easy didn't. For me. Pretend for a second you didn't marry into a fundamentalist, crazy Catholic family.
1: Done and done. Yeah,
0: I know you've been trying to forget that for <laughs> ten years. But anyway, <laughs>
1: Um
0: you know, you've been doing a lot of bad shit, and you're trying to figure out how to. I know. Oh, you know. You know how we're going to get out of this? How? Right. Oh Yeah, no, we're going to confess to it. What? You can't confess to it. <laughs> yeah. That's not how you get out of shit. You lie about it. No, 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 That's no, no. You no. Get in deeper no. shit. We're going to confess to it. We're going to, yep, I did that. Yes, I fucking raped those kids. That's how we're going to get out of it. <laughs> what? You're insane. No, 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 no. Because see, here's the thing. If we yeah. lie about it, you, you, if you lie about it, you're always worried that somebody's going to find out. If you confess to it, here's what we're going to tell them. We're going to tell them that God says, if you confess to it, it's fine. If you, forget, if you confess to me and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, that's it. You're off. scot free. They can't touch you. You've confessed. <laughs> you, 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 a mean to, you mean to tell me that I can commit all manner of crimes? I can murder. I can rape. I can steal, burn shit down, and all I have to do is go, yeah, I fucking did it. So I'm sorry. And, and I'm I, sorry. And I'm off? Yeah. <laughs> no, they're never going to no. buy
1: that. No <laughs> one's ever going to buy that. They're crazy. they
0: are crazy. So there you go. What did we get up to? Oh yeah, seppuku. So
1: <laughs> Wait one question, one question. Just because humans make that shit up, if there is a God, why does he have to honor it? Because it comes from the Pope?
0: They made God up too, motherfucker. It's all part of the same made up
1: thing. <laughs> no, I think I remember something from uh fuck some movie about whatever you do on earth, I will something and I will make it so in heaven or something like that. So anyway, never mind. Was that, uh, the, yeah, movie where,
0: was that the movie where Morgan Freeman was God and, uh, he was talking to Jim Carrey.
1: No, it was, uh, Jay and silent Bob, <laughs> a Dogra. Dogna. There we go. There we go. A lot of passages in that one. Anyway, that's sorry to mean to get m- sidetracked.
0: That's a great movie. Um, yeah, so so the point here is and this is important, trust me. I'm going going somewhere with this. It is important that if you committed if you'd fucked up, but you committed Great. ritual suicide, you not only got forgiven for fucking up, but you were actually you became a fucking superhero. Ah. Now, of course, the way that the samurai was supposed to do it, they were supposed to cut open their own stomach with ah. a short samurai sword. Um, extremely painful and unpleasant way to die, as we remember from Cato <laughs> back in Julius right. Caesar's day. And then, when people are trying to stuff your innards back in, you've got to rip them out and go, "No,
1: fuck it!" know. Uh, Audi, um, I want an Audi.
0: Well, in fact, uh, what what people did, and we saw this this you know we saw this back in the the, the Caesar show. Um, you would often have your retainer or a friend or a comrade or someone there when you were a samurai to cut off your head after ah. you had done this. So you would, you didn't want to bleed out in agony on the floor. So you would cut open your own intestines and then have somebody standing behind you, whip your head off Ned Stark style. Uh, they would Stark you from behind. Right. Uh, so you didn't, <laughs> you know, bleed right. out on so, the floor.
1: So, so I just have to ask, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but, a Christian commits a crime and we confess it and we're forgiven. Samurai commits a crime, kills himself to be forgiven. It's amazing we beat these people. We needed the atomic bomb.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, Badass. Bushido was hijacked uh, in the 20th century by the militarists and the government uh, and, and used it for nationalist uh, purposes, around about the time of the Russo-Japanese War, actually. And, and it continued to increase until World War II. It reached sort of epic proportions. The, the, the Shinto religion, which was closely connected with Bushido, Bushido had, had a lot of Shinto in it and, and a little bit of Zen mixed in with it. Um, But it, it really got warped into this state Shinto, as it was uh, known externally. Because they didn't, mm-hmm. people didn't want to disparage real Shintoism, so they said, "Well, there's real Shintoism, which is fine," and then you've got your state Shinto, which is not fine. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, don't, I, I don't know how much Western strategists really understood Bushido or state Shinto in 1945, but they were certainly aware of one of the outcomes of it, and that was the kamikaze pilots. This is why I'm talking about seppuku and bushido so we understand kamikaze gotcha so kamikaze ray what
1: does it mean um divine wind or spirit wind um, or the uh, special attack unit. Uh, they had the Japanese special attack units of military aviators who initiated suicide attacks, obviously, for Japan. Uh, just to give you some numbers so you, ha- so you have a frame of reference. Wait, 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 wait. I was yeah.
0: going to say that's what I say oh. when, I, when I fart. I say I just it's <laughs> Divine wind. I'm just know, gonna I was going to say f- something. but
1: uh, Come on, I had a fart I just joke to in take there. the high road. Yeah, well, yeah,
0: come on. Sorry. How long have we been doing this? <laughs>
1: That's it's so like oh, again. <laughs> oh, kamikaze! <laughs> <laughs> I kamikaze my all over myself. No, I just wanted to mention I found this interesting because I didn't know the numbers. 3,862 kamikaze pilots died during the war. They did end up killing over 7,000 naval personnel of the enemy, but again, as we know, or as a lot of people know, they were supposed to do a lot more damage than that, so again, it wasn't very effective in that sense. About 19% of kamikaze attacks were successful in the time that they used them, so again, it was it was sheer desperation, but again, brave as all hell. I know some of them were drunk or drinking when they did it, but still pretty damn brave. I could not do it myself.
0: Yeah, you look at that numbers, like nearly 4,000 pilots died and they killed somewhere between 5,000 and 7,000 naval personnel. I've seen different estimates. It's like uh, one and a half to two for one uh, ratio when you're flying into a ship with like... Uh, a 1,000 guys 100. on a yeah. ship, and you're, only, out. and you're only taking out two for every one of you that crashed. Not a, none of
1: the best use. It's, yeah. no,
0: it's not not really good success rates. But I'm going to win. But, but that sort of is the point of kamikaze. I think it's important to understand that the idea for kamikaze pilots came very late in the war. Committing suicide is not something that you build into a military strategy up front. You don't <laughs> really? sit down at the beginning of a war and go, you know what okay. I think, we'll all just kill ourselves. That, that'll work. Uh, that's, that's not, that's not, Yeah, when things are going well, you don't yeah. come up with the idea of committing suicide. That's, it's what you do when things are going badly, which gets back to seppuku, in yeah. uh, bushido right when you fucked up and by fucking up it means you you're losing the war you failed ah, when right. things are going bad to regain your honor you be prepared to kill yourself now they you know this isn't just seppuku here you weren't sitting in your living room with a short sword you were trying to take your own life but take out other people as well now you know it's hard to talk about this without talking about is uh, fundamentalist islamic terrorism Around the right. world today, uh, they tend to get <clears throat> disparaged every time there's a suicide attack, uh, whether it's 9/11 or which had a bit better strike rate than the kamikazes did. Let's be honest; it was taking kamikaze mm-hmm. to a whole new level. Or right. uh you know, you know the guys who walk into a, a, a concert or a shopping mall or whatever it is. You hear the Western media and Western politicians criticize the uh terrorist for being cowards. Cowards. Yeah, wrong words. I remember when uh nine eleven happened, I think it was um what's his what's his face? Bill Maher. Uh,
1: Bill, Bill Maher. Maher, yeah. Got fired.
0: Got fired for saying that's not that's not a coward, man. You uh take your own life to you give your own life to take that's By any other definition, it's funny. Like You watch a a movie like um, uh, The Poseidon Adventure, the original one. Gene Hackman. I've talked about this before. Self-sacrifice. Gene Hackman, he's cunt through the whole film. They they can see the porthole, the escape hatch. They can't get there because there's a steam valve, and and, and he jumps off the walkway to grab the steam valve and turn it off, uh, but he can't get back. So he just smiles and lets go and drops into the fire, commits suicide in order to save everybody else. We look at that and we go, wow, that's that's like the ultimate form of heroism. He gave up his life for the benefit of others. Well, that's exactly what a fucking suicide bomber is doing. They are giving up their life to Mm -hmm. try and
1: change... Well, they're they're giving it. Gene Hackman killed himself. They're trying to kill other people so their people can live.
0: Yes, but they 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 which is what soldiers do in a war. We so this (laughs) is the fucking hypocrisy of the thing. American media is all like, oh fucking respect the troops, support the troops. They 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 are fighting for freedom. That's what the fucking suicide bombers doing, motherfucker. They're fighting for freedom too. Oh yes, but they're killing civilians. Really? Uh, What about and, and American soldiers don't kill civilians? Fuck you. You drop fucking atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And you go, oh, yes, but we did that to stop the war. Well, what do you think a suicide bomb is doing it for? <laughs> They're doing it to stop fucking taking over their countries. It's exactly the same thing. It is exactly the same thing. And if you can't see that, then, you know, you're just fucking blind. It's exactly the same thing. Anyway, let me, I digress. So... Kamikaze pilots. <laughs> yeah, so it came up very late in the war. Mm-hmm. Um, you obviously, you're not only going to lose people if you do it early in the war, you're going to run out of airplanes very <laughs> fucking quickly. <laughs> and that's the point. So by late 1944, Japan yeah. was fucked, and they knew they were fucked. They'd been trying to surrender. They they were running out. They, they, they'd had uh, economic blockades going on since before Pearl Harbour. We know that was the reason for Pearl Harbour. Um, You know, we've talked about... Was it on this show? I think it was on this show we talked about that. Um, America had put an economic blockade on Japan. uh, Before Pearl Harbor, the Japanese Mm. knew that in order to continue fighting, they needed to go and grab the Philippines and places like that in order to get access to resources. They couldn't do that because Americans had everything defended with the naval base at Pearl Harbor, so they had to take Pearl Harbor out. Etc. 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 So I've covered that I think in an earlier episode. Don't need to go over it again. So anyway, by 1944, the Japanese Air Force was running out of pilots, and their planes were outclassed by the new American planes. And so, Captain Motoharu Okamura. It is. It is thought potentially. There's a bit of debate around this, but it was Captain Motoharu Okamura who was in charge of the Tatayama base in Tokyo, as well as the 341st Air Group, was the guy who came up with the idea of kamikaze attacks. He's, they guys were sitting around drinking one night, Saki, and he said, uh, and I've come up with some crazy ideas on Saki myself, I have to confess. He said, you know what? I got this idea. This might sound crazy. Went, no, just hear me out. No, just hear me out. Hear me <laughs> out. Yeah, it might sound crazy. Went, what if this is wait, What if we, 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 we go put tell our guys to get in their planes, and mm-hmm. we just crash them into the ships. We just crash them in. And they just like crash. Like they're gonna get shot down anyway. Might as well yeah. get some of them. Might <laughs> get through and crash into them.
1: And they're like, you know what? That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> so I can make it even better. Why don't we take people who are not trained, super trained pilots, because we obviously spent months and years training them. Those are valuable assets. Let's get some kids who barely know how to fly, and we'll get them in planes. We'll fill up the planes full of gas, or we'll have bombs on there. So it's not actually a military loss as far as the personnel goes. So we'll get someone who can barely fly. We can just get a whole bunch of these guys, teach them the basics, get them up in the air, ram into a ship or whatever, So and we keep the true pilots. I mean, this... As long as we have enough planes, mind you, this could be a game changer. Who's with me? <laughs> Not
0: the sixteen to twenty year old twenty year old men, boys who they wanted to do it. Although they were, yeah. I mean, and and this is where the Bushido code comes into it. So the first successful attacks are thought to have happened on either the fourteenth or the fifteenth of October, nineteen forty four. Rear Admiral Masafumi Arima, mm. Arima, Arima, Andre, Andre. <laughs> was the commander of the 26th Air Flotilla. Um, sometimes he's credited with inventing the idea of the kamikaze tactic, and it's like they fought about it. They used to have armor, and No, oh, I invented I <laughs> No, I, fuck you. I'd been talking about it for years before we did it, as you heard me at a bar one night, and you copy my idea. Um, he personally led an attack of about 100... Yokosuka D4Y Suse dive bombers, a.k.a. the Judy mm. dive bombers, against the USS Franklin uh, on the 15th of October, more or less. Um, Arima was killed, and part of a plane hit Franklin. So I guess he wasn't around to argue that he invented the idea afterwards. I mean, it's just... Uh, right. Maybe his dead. Jedi ghost came back and argued it. <laughs> sure. Um, I got think the robes are ready. Well, I think if you can be kamikaze pilot, you do get a Jedi ghost. I think that's
1: right. part of 100 the deal. And hundred virgins.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <No>. Can you <laughs> fuck virgins if you're a ghost? Do they, are you they can try my friend. Are they, you <laughs> can try. Are they ghost virgins? <laughs> Who are you going to call? Ghost virgins. It's, I don't know. Like does spirit sex any good? I mean, what's have, the, have you had bad sex? Well, yeah, but like, whole, the, the whole point of sex is it's flesh on flesh. If you don't have flesh, right. what's going yeah. on there? Where, where's the Where's the joy in?
1: I don't energy know. body
0: sex. I mean, right? I don't. I'm not sure that energy bodies well, have you a, nerve endings. Go
1: fund me experiment with a, go, yeah. a new kind of ghost show. Yeah, ghost fuckers. <laughs> I mean, ghost hunters. Sorry,
0: ghost fucker hunters.
1: I think we've strayed.
0: I think we've hit gold, my friend. I think all of our shows up to now, to this point, were to get us to this point. Now we know what the new campaign is.
1: donation.
0: Ghost fucker hunters. Hunters. (laughs) We want to answer the question, do ghosts have sex? And is it good? And do they let you do anal in heaven? That's what we want to know. That's what we'll be working out this week.
1: My hand's just, up, I want to know
0: it's, it's just us with a Ouija board <laughs> just, just saying, a hole in the Ouija board Asking Asking the most deprived Depraved Pervy questions <laughs> Of the ghosts And the ghosts Just writing insulting iTunes reviews <laughs> Afterwards About how fucking childish we are oh, uh, yeah,
1: Then we put the Point down and we move up and go at each other
0: it always comes oh, down yeah. to that with you, doesn't it? It always comes back to that.
1: It always comes um, to that. Back to that. So anyway, yes. um, I don't.
0: Yeah. So Arima was killed, and the Japanese high command said, "Oh, look at that!" So there's some some suggestion that it was <laughs> it was an accident. He accidentally flew his flew his plane into a ship, and they went, "Oh no, he meant he meant that." No, no, he no, got, he, 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 it. he told us. Uh, well, ahead of time, that's what he was going to do. He was like, no, I didn't. It was a mistake. My hand slipped off the controls. <laughs> no, you didn't. You you meant to do that. No, no, shut up. You're dead. I was crying. I couldn't see. <laughs> shut up, Jedi yeah. ghost. Um, <laughs> so anyway, they, they jumped on it. Now, other sources say it was an Aussie yeah. ship. That was huh. first attacked. On the 21st of October, a Japanese aircraft deliberately crashed into the foremast of the HMAS Australia, killed 30 personnel, including the cruiser's captain, who had the mm. uh, very un-Australian name of Emile Deschanaux, uh, wounded 64, including the Australian force commander, Commodore John Collins, and the official War History of Australia says this was the first kamikaze attack on an Allied ship. Wow. So, you know, we're, so us Australians, we don't have much to fucking claim to fame here, man. We're like, fuck mm-hmm. you. Yeah. We we got kamikaze first. That's <laughs> our story. And target. We're yeah. sticking to it. Be proud. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Okay. I didn't know about that one. So did did you read uh, do anything as far as now see cuz when I was reading this I couldn't with today's Uh, headline news and everything, I couldn't help but think of terrorism. Yes, you're actually trying to kill the enemy, you're trying to take one man and one plane and sink an entire ship but there's also an an element of terrorism there that when you see these planes you're going to be more afraid than what you would normally be because they're not just trying to drop a bomb, you just know that they're going to be crazy enough to sacrifice themselves come right at you and the way that Americans value life I would just imagine that every sailor on the ship was just more freaked out than if it had been a standard attack.
0: Yeah, look, I think when people are willing to kill themselves, it is, it is terrifying. Uh, I think that's what, why we find terrorists so terrifying, is um, mm. when people are prepared to do that, it's, um, it's hard for rational people to get their head around. This is, gets back to what we were talking about on the Renaissance show about the early Christians. This is what the thing that fuck, fucking freaked the Romans out. In in um, Diocletian's day, right, late, well, right. early fourth century, the Christians were willingly being tortured and executed um, because they thought it was going to win them a seat at the table in heaven. It's exactly mm-hmm. the same sort of martyrdom yeah. complex that the kamikaze pilots had. And that your your Islamic terrorist has uh, it's all all springs from the same well.
1: I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself for me. Exactly. I mean, wow.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's insanity. It's a it's a it's a level of insanity that uh, is surprisingly common. You see it across all societies. Um, this whole martyrdom complex. Um. Anyway, uh, it's claimed anyway that there were many volunteers for the Kamikaze pilot program. Uh, Okamura said there were so many volunteers for suicide missions that he referred to them as a swarm of bees, explaining that bees die after they have stung.
1: Mm, Right.
0: The Kamikaze pilot's manual said, when you eliminate all thoughts about life and death, you will be able to totally disregard your earthly life. This will also enable you to concentrate your attention on eradicating the enemy with unwavering determination, meanwhile reinforcing your excellent in-flight skills.
1: I'm just going to say that as a white American, when you do Churchill and Stalin, I'm okay with that. that. That voice... I'm I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. I'm a little uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> it's it's not racist when I'm doing bad impersonations of white men, but when I do a bad yeah. impersonation yeah. of an Asian, yeah. it's racist. Yeah. yeah, it was
1: it was a good impersonation. You had the accent down. I think that made it even more uncomfortable. Did <laughs> I ever tell you about the time I took this really hot girl to my favorite Chinese restaurant in Charlottesville? This is. 20 years ago, whatever. We we eat her thing and we have, we eat her lunch, we have a great time and then we get up to pay and she insisted on paying for her own. I'm thinking, okay, so I, I don't have a chance with her. But anyway, so so we get up there and the woman says, you know, uh, thank you. Seven dollars. And my and the girl turned to her and said, oh, seven dollars is it? Okay. And I was so embarrassed that I never called her again and I never went to that Chinese restaurant again. I'm like, oh, fuck. Come on. Don't, don't tell me you're one of those. But I don't. Maybe she was trying to be funny, just didn't come across that way. But when you did that, it's like, oh my god, is that her? Did you the mean whole, whole, she I, said seven dora? Well, she 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 said it like the woman. She copied the woman. She yeah. said seven dora, you know, like that. Dora. And just yeah. I was just wow. so yeah yeah.
0: So yeah. anyway, thanks yeah, for bringing
1: no. that back. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate well, it. I didn't. I d- <laughs> <laughs> my favorite Chinese fucking uh. restaurant. <laughs>
0: So so this, obviously, the whole point of discussing all of this is this is one consideration when thinking about ending the war with Japan. Would the military and the people Mm -hmm. in general be willing to die with honour or be happier, in fact, to die with honour than to surrender? Yeah. Are they... Yeah. Because when you're dealing with an enemy who actually believes that the shortcut to getting a good seat at, at the heavenly table is to commit suicide yeah. in, in, in trying to kill you, like a kamikaze pilot or, or a terrorist bomber, that's very hard enemy to deal with at a rational level,
1: right? Yeah, how do you plan for that? Yeah, and the other thing was that when the B-29s of the United States started flying over the home islands on a regular basis, some of the planes tried to ram the bombers before they could drop their loads. It didn't work because, like you said earlier, by then the Japanese planes were obsolete, the pilots weren't, weren't good enough, that kind of stuff. But again, they were trying it on the B-29s, and so this was freaking the Americans out uh, to a significant degree. But again, you wonder if the Americans truly understood that these people could not simply surrender. And if you've got 1.2 million samurai, I think you said earlier, between those people and everybody who's in the military, they're not just going to lay down their arms because the war is not going their way. Way They're going to find some way to try to atone for their mistakes.
0: Now, the Potsdam Declaration... Um had been modified a little bit before it was published uh, based on the advice from some of the moderates in the US and, and UK political establishment. Uh, mm-hmm. For a start, it didn't mention the emperor at all. Smart. Right. Either by name or by reference to the institution. Mm-hmm. The words unconditional surrender appeared only once in the final paragraph, and then specifically said it only related to the armed forces, the unconditional surrender of the armed forces, not the Japanese nation as a whole. Yeah. Um, but therein lies the problem. They didn't mention what was going to happen to Emperor Hirohito.
1: Ah, uh, they thought they were being clever by leaving him out completely.
0: Well, I don't know if it was they thought they were being clever or it was deliberately left ambiguous. Now, as I mentioned in the last episode, I think this is a problem because for the Japanese of the time, the emperor was considered to be divine. He was the son of heaven. In state Shinto, the emperor Mm -hmm. was believed to be an aretogami, a living god. Mm. In Japanese mythology, the emperor and his family are supposedly direct descendants of the sun goddess Amaterasu. This goes sure. way back to, I think, like the 6th or 7th century. It's been around forever. Um, and the American leaders, I, I think, understood this. The, the American uh, uh, sec- uh, uh, State Department, etc., they understood enough about Japan to know this. The Japanese regarded the emperor as a deity more like Jesus or, or an incarnate Buddha than just an ordinary human being. He wasn't just a president or a prime minister. He right. was literally a, pope. A, a god yeah. on earth, even higher than the pope because the pope's not a right. god. <clears throat> you check that back. <laughs> uh, you know, up, up until the surrender the Japanese people had
1: never even heard the emperor's voice. Wow. And yeah, so no, no radio broadcasts like Churchill and FDR and Stalin and things like that.
0: Yeah, because gods don't fucking talk to you over the radio. He was, well, you know, unless you're Charles Manson. I mean, right. I, I do have friends, people I know who claim God talks to them but we mm-hmm. all know that they're batshit crazy. Um, for non-crazy people, gods don't talk to you. Uh, yeah, so he was—he he was like kept away, kept hidden, a secret. You know, a lot of people, apparently, Japanese were moved to tears when they first heard their deity speaking to them on the uh-huh. radio to announce the surrender. I don't know if it was right. because they were surrendering or if because they actually heard the words, the voice of the deity speaking to them. Be- about- like it's—it's. Yeah. It's, it's important to understand this whole issue. It's important to fully grasp and to fully accept that the Japanese people at the time, obviously probably not everyone, but the, mm-hmm. uh, uh, enough of them, a lot of them, I'd I I say the majority, easily the majority, believed the emperor was a god incarnate on earth. Right. Now, <clears throat> That may be strange, but then again, these you know a lot of people who think that strange believe Jesus really existed and really was a god incarnate on Earth. So you know it's the same thing, really. They just believe right. that Jesus existed, in, in this in contemporary with them. Right. Um, in 1937, the Thought Bureau of the Ministry of Education in Japan, which was worried that. Um, sort of loyalty and devotion to the emperor might be replaced by Western ideas, Western immorality, he issued a document that was called The Cardinal Principles of the National Polity. Uh, mm. I think Donald Trump is coming out with his own version of that very soon, um, right. which is based on this one. This, the Japanese one said, the national character is cloudless, pure and honest and that our country is a divine country governed by an emperor who is a deity incarnate. Donald Trump's just going to change that to a president who is a deity
1: incarnate and just (laughs) put it out. It's fine. He should, who should be allowed to marry his daughter, and then she can be president after me. That's no, a, the reason I, the, the reason I brought up was were the with the uh, Americans and the Western powers trying to be clever by not mentioning the emperors because the moderates had won that point a, as far as not mentioning the emperor. So because it was the hardliners who wanted to put it in there, so maybe they thought by saying by not mentioning him at all that maybe the Japanese will interpret it their own way or they'll interpret. Again, they'll interpret it anyway as long as they sign the peace treaty. Then we can get in there we do what we want. So, again, the moderates thought they were doing well. But, again, like you said, the, the Japanese people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't mention the emperor. We're going to assume the worst. And because we're going to assume the worst, we cannot give in to you.
0: No, well, I, I will argue that the moderates actually wanted the fate of the emperor to be spelled out very spell clearly out. because they gotcha. knew – that leaving it ambiguous mm-hmm. was a recipe for disaster. I think it was gotcha. deliberately left ambiguous in order to make it such that the Japanese couldn't possibly accept it.
1: That's fucked up. Uh-huh.
0: <clears throat> Whether or not they wanted to surrender, they couldn't surrender. Right. Right. Because the fate of the emperor was left up in the air and, and it's you know, they just couldn't. That was completely inconceivable and unacceptable. The idea that the emperor could be even arrested.
1: Oh, that's unthinkable.
0: In fact, here's a fun fact. Mm -hmm. Currently, the emperor of Japan is the only head of state in the world with the English title of emperor.
1: Nice. Hmm. I thought you were the only one.
0: You yeah, technically, my uh, bathroom is not a state right. that I'm ahead of. Um, oh,
1: and the toilet's not a throne. Got it. I'm Message work- received. I'm working on
0: that. Okay. Now, the the, the 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 U.S. demand for unconditional surrender was a direct threat not only on the person of the emperor but also the basic tenets of Japanese culture. I can't. Mm-hmm. I cannot stress this enough. Right. U.S. leaders had repeatedly been advised that a surrender would only be acceptable to the Japanese people if they were assured that their emperor god would neither be removed from his throne or harmed in any way, shape, or form. There was a report by the Joint Intelligence Committee dated March 1944, 16 months before Hiroshima, that the course of conduct of Japanese armed forces deployed in the areas under consideration to a large extent will depend upon the Japanese political situation as of the time that our peace terms are enforced. The crux of the political situation will lie in the all-important status of the Japanese emperor.
1: hmm Another and again, rep- they, left, they left it out, so yeah. Japan has no choice but to say no. Sorry, uh, go ahead.
0: There was another report put together for General MacArthur in 1944 which said, hanging of the emperor to them would be comparable to the crucifixion of Christ to us. Ooh, right. So the declaration being vague on this point, was a major sticky point to the Japanese and it's impossible for me to believe the Americans and the British, when they were drafting this, did not know that. Which means you have to conclude that they knew that and just decided to fucking fuck with the Japanese. We're not going to tell you what's going to fuck you,
1: right? Well, maybe the Americans wanted to punish the emperor. They couldn't come out and say it, but maybe they left it vague on purpose because not only do they not want them to surrender, maybe they intended to bring this guy up on trial on charges.
0: Mm, I don't think so because they didn't. Right? Um, so why,
1: did, why didn't they say anything and they? Because they.
0: I think the conclusion you have to reach is they wanted to drop the bombs. They didn't want. Mm. They didn't want Japan to surrender. They just spent two billion dollars developing this technology. They developed to use it on Germany, but the war's over with Germany. Uh, Japan's the only real war target left. I mean, maybe they might use it on the Russians later on, but they don't know what's going to happen. This is their last shot at using their $2 billion toy on a live target. They have to be seen to be giving the Japanese an out. But they don't really right. want to give them an out because they want to use the bomb. So they deliberately leave the declaration vague regarding the status of the emperor. So they can say later on, hey, we, we gave them a warning. They ignored our warning. Yeah. We had to do it. Which is, uh, yeah, in so fact, of course- uh, just a big yeah. fucking lie. It's a lie. It's a fucking American lie.
1: Yeah, so obviously Japan does not know about the bombs. They hear the ultimatum. They say no. Uh, let's see here. The prime minister, whose diplomats had still been talking to their Soviet counterparts in the hope of using them to get better terms, said there is no recourse but to ignore the declaration entirely, which, of course, did not surprise Truman at all, considering what he, what little he understood of the Japanese culture. But like you said, now they could say we had tried to give them a way out. And they did not take it. And, in fact, that maybe isn't what he said at all.
0: Really? Yes. Okay. Um, So he used the word mokusatsu. (coughs) Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Now, there's been a lot of um, debate on this over the years, but the Japanese prime minister used the word mokusatsu, which is a Japanese noun, as I understand it, literally means to kill with silence. Um, Now, it it gets translated uh, in this instance as to ignore or to take no notice of or to treat with silent contempt. But uh, Stuart Chase, in his book The Power of Words, said that the use of the phrase, even though that's the literal translation of it, what it means in context is they were going to wait and see. They were going to reserve comment to see what happened next.
1: But so, isn't silence the same thing as rejection as far as the Americans are concerned? Because they're not going to wait around forever.
0: Yeah, no, well, they were trying to uh, negotiate um, peace terms, mm-hmm. right? And And also, importantly... They wanted to get clarification on what the role of the emperor was. Ah. So the, the Japanese were saying, well, we obviously can't. What it sounds like is the, the Japanese were saying that they had to wait and see what the mm-hmm. status of the emperor would be before they right. could comment or, 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 or on the declaration, on the, on the demand for a surrender.
1: It's a dangerous game. Um, but, yeah, I see your point.
0: Well, they couldn't accept it without uh, knowing that, right? They they didn't reject it outright. Sure. Um, they couldn't accept they it because they had to right. see what the status of the emperor was. And they were going through diplomatic back channels to try and clarify what the status of the emperor was going to be. But those were ignored. Gotcha. 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 Um, Truman then authorized the use of the bomb, but he didn't want it to be used until he had left Potsdam and was on a ship sailing back to the United States, so he didn't have to look Stalin in the eyes after it happened.
1: Now, when I was reading a a sentence very much like that in a book, I, I just knew it was going to say that, so he didn't, he couldn't be bothered by the press. But then I thought about it, I was like, yeah, so he doesn't want to have to, not that Stalin's probably going to call him up or maybe congratulate him or whatever, but you're right, he wants to physically be moved away. He told Stalin about it. Stalin doesn't seem to have grasped it then. Um, he's going to grasp it now once he hears about the bomb. And so, again, it was just removing himself from an uncomfortable situation that I guess hopefully time would take care of. <laughs>
0: well, maybe? he knows he's never going to see Stalin again. So he doesn't have to have that un- that doesn't have to have that uncomfortable conversation ah, about gotcha So when you told me it was bomb you never really said it's <laughs> big big fucking big. bomb <laughs> <laughs> turned
1: up to 11 no You didn't uh, you
0: didn't ask me if you could use it on Japan uh, anyway so close to Russia Yeah, yeah. I thought uh, we said I was going to enter war and uh, assist you but then you use bomb before I get to come in. So what's the fucking deal, man? Like, what, what are you, gives? You ask what me to gives? you ask me to come into Japan. I say okay, I will come into Japan and I will support you. Then you use bomb before I get to Japan. And now you say, "Ah, oh, we don't need you in Japan anymore." Like I've spent six months organizing this trip. You, you cancel at yeah. the last minute. I lost my <laughs> deposit. Uh, you know. <laughs> <coughs> I have two tickets. They're
1: very disappointed. That's I, right, I, yeah.
0: I, I have two tickets. Now I have to go by myself. I have to go around and say, anyone want to come on holiday to Japan with me? It's very embarrassing. I have
1: two tickets to paradise. What, the, what am I to do now? <laughs>
0: um, <clears throat> but as we can see, well, as we have seen and will see, there are other considerations involved in using the bomb other than ending the war with the Japan. There's a diary entry, by Secretary of the Navy James Forrestal from July 28, 1945, Mm. describing Secretary of State James Burns as most anxious to get the Japanese affair over with before the Russians got in. Mm.
1: But like we were saying earlier, Burns, who knew the Russians, who was pretty sympathetic to the Russians, Um, you get the sense that he's telling, uh, at least the military is telling Truman, once these guys get in, even though we invited them a week or so ago, it's hard to get them out. Do we want that? Do we want to have to deal with that? You think Burns is sympathetic to the Russians? No, Burns, I'm thinking of Davies. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm thinking Davies. I apologize.
0: According to uh, historian J. Samuel Walker, Mm-hmm. J.S. Dub, as I usually call him. He's the chief historian of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Right. At least he was in 1990. He said, careful scholarly treatment of the records and manuscripts opened over the past few years has greatly enhanced our understanding of why the Truman administration used atomic weapons against Japan's. Japan. Experts continue to disagree on some issues, but critical questions have been answered. And now listen very closely, people. Mm -hmm. The consensus among scholars is that the bomb was not needed to avoid an invasion of Japan and to end the war within a relatively short time. It is clear that alternatives to the bomb existed and that Truman and his advisers knew it. Now, this isn't his personal opinion. This is his summary of the most recent, at that time, expert research on the decision to drop the bomb on Hiroshima and then again on Nagasaki, as it was reflected in the scholarly journal Diplomatic History. Mm. And yet, throughout the 70 years that have passed since Hiroshima, poll after poll, have shown that most Americans think that the bombings were totally justified and saved a significant number of lives which might have been lost in an invasion. Right. And I've had this debate with my good friend, J. David Markham. In fact, that's one of the reasons he didn't end up co-hosting this show with us is because when we got into a discussion about this in Las Vegas two years ago, he basically got very emotionally upset and said, I cannot, I can't have this conversation. I said, okay. Right. People don't, Americans find it very hard to get their head around this um, because Barry Stan have been deeply involved in spinning this to Americans for over 70 years.
1: Yeah, and there was a guy who wrote a book in 2004, where did it go? Ba, 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 ba. Ward Wilson, The Fod Myths of the nuclear about nuclear bombs. He also says, not only is that the story that we've been told, but it's a story that fits with our character about they sucker punched us, we didn't do anything wrong, we fought them, we got to where we could defeat them, we offered them a chance, they didn't take it, we were forced into it. it. It kind of like Fits into the American psyche, or complements the American, uh, the part of American psyche that says we were victors, but we were not wanting to to push uh, to punish them any further than we had to, but they forced it upon us, so we can still see ourselves as good guys. So he says between between the, that being told uh, that being told in high schools ever since World War II, and it fits with the American psyche. It's something not only do we believe, but we want to believe it. Exactly.
0: Let me finish up uh, by reading some quotes. This is uh, Dwight Eisenhower. In July 1945, Secretary of War Stimson, visiting my headquarters in Germany, informed me that our government was preparing to drop an atomic bomb on Japan. I was one of those who felt that there were a number of cogent reasons to question the wisdom of such an act. The Secretary, upon giving me the news of the successful bomb test in New Mexico and of the plan for using it, asked for my reaction, apparently expecting a vigorous assent. During his recitation of the relevant facts, I'd been conscious of a feeling of depression, and so I voiced to him my grave misgivings. First, on the basis of my belief that Japan was already defeated And that dropping the bomb was completely unnecessary. And secondly, because I thought that our country should avoid shocking world opinion by the use of a weapon whose employment was, I thought, no longer mandatory as a measure to save American lives. It was my belief that Japan was, at that very moment, seeking some way to surrender with a minimum loss of face. The Secretary was deeply perturbed by my attitude. That's Dwight motherfucking Eisenhower. Yeah. Yeah. Admiral Leahy, <laughs> Chief of Staff to Roosevelt and Truman. Oh, God. It is my opinion that the use of this barbarous weapon at Hiroshima and Nagasaki was of no material assistance in our war against Japan. The Japanese were already defeated and ready to surrender because of the effective sea blockade and the successful bombing with conventional weapons. The lethal possibilities of atomic warfare in the future are frightening. My own feeling was that in being the first to use it, we had adopted an ethical standard common to the barbarians of the dark ages. I was not taught to make war in that fashion and wars Mm -hmm. cannot be won by destroying women women and children. Herbert Hoover. hmm On May 28th, 1945, Hoover visited Truman and suggested a way to end the Pacific War quickly. I'm convinced that if you, as president, will make a short-wave broadcast to the people of Japan, tell them they can have their emperor if they surrender... That it will not mean unconditional surrender, except for the militarists. You'll get a peace in Japan. You'll have both wars over. Mm. After the bombing of Hiroshima, Hoover wrote to Army and Navy Journal publisher, Colonel John Callan O'Loughlin. He said, the use of the atomic bomb with its indiscriminate killing of women and children revolts my soul. The Japanese were prepared to negotiate all the way from February 1945 up to and before the time the atomic bombs were dropped. If such leads had been followed up, there would have been no occasion to drop the bombs. Hoover's biographer, Richard Norton Smith, wrote, Use of the bomb had had besmirched America's reputation, Hoover told Friends. It ought to have been described in graphic terms before being flung out into the sky over Japan. In May of 1946, Hoover met with MacArthur, Hoover recorded in his diary, I told MacArthur of my memorandum of mid-May 1945 to Truman that peace could be had with Japan, by which our major objectives would be accomplished. MacArthur said that was correct, and that we would have avoided all of the losses, the atomic bomb, and the entry of Russia into Manchuria. Mm. General Douglas MacArthur knows a thing or two about the war with Japan, you might think, yeah. seeing he was the head of it. <laughs> <coughs> MacArthur biographer William Manchester describes MacArthur's reaction to the Potsdam proclamation. The Potsdam Declaration in July demanded that Japan surrender unconditionally or face prompt and utter destruction. MacArthur was appalled. He knew that the Japanese would never renounce their emperor and that without him, an orderly transition to peace would be impossible anyhow because his people would never submit to Allied occupation unless he ordered it. Ironically, when the surrender did come, it was conditional and the condition was a continuation of the imperial reign. Had the general's advice been followed, the resort to atomic weapons at Hiroshima and Nagasaki might have been unnecessary. Norman Cousins was a consultant to MacArthur during the American occupation of Japan. He said that uh, with his conversations with MacArthur... MacArthur's views about the decision to drop the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were starkly different from what the general public supposed. When I asked General MacArthur about the decision to drop the bomb, I was surprised to learn he had not even been consulted. What, I asked, would his advice have been? He replied that he saw no military justification for the dropping of the bomb. The war might have ended weeks earlier, he said, if the United States had agreed as it later did anyway, to the retention of the institution of the emperor. Mm. Our old mate Joseph Grew, who Truman threw under the bus because the buck stops here, (coughs) and by here I mean Joseph Grew's desk, under Secretary (laughs) of State. In a February 12, 1947 letter to Henry Stimson, Grew responded to the defence of the atomic bombings that Stimson had made in a Harper's Magazine article. He said, In the light of available evidence, I myself and others felt that if such a categorical statement about the retention of the dynasty had been issued in May 1945, The surrender-minded elements in the Japanese government might well have been afforded by such a statement a valid reason and the necessary strength to come to an early clear-cut decision. If surrender could have been brought about in May 1945 or even in June or July before the entrance of Soviet Russia into the Pacific War and the use of the atomic bomb, the world would have been the gainer. Mm. John McCloy, Assistant Secretary of War, I have always felt that if in our ultimatum to the Japanese government issued from Potsdam, we had referred to the retention of the emperor as a constitutional monarch and had made some reference to the reasonable accessibility of raw materials to the future Japanese government, it would have been accepted. Indeed, I believe that even in the form it was delivered, there was some disposition on the part of the Japanese to give it favourable consideration. When the war was over, I arrived at this conclusion after talking with a number of Japanese officials who had been closely associated with the decision of the then-Japanese government to reject the ultimatum as it was presented. I believe we missed the opportunity of effecting a Japanese surrender completely satisfactory to us without the necessity of dropping the bombs. Ralph Bard, Undersecretary of the Navy, On June 28, 1945, a memorandum written by Bard the previous day was given to Henry Stimson. It stated, Following the Three Power Conference, emissaries from this country could contact representatives from Japan somewhere on the China coast and make representations with regard to Russia's position and at the same time give them some information regarding the proposed use of atomic power, together with whatever assurances The president might care to make with regard to the retention of the emperor of Japan and the treatment of the Japanese nation following unconditional surrender. It seems quite possible to me that this presents the opportunity which the Japanese are looking for. I don't see that we have anything in particular to lose in such a program. He concluded the memorandum by noting the only way to find out is to try it out. Hmm. Damn. Damn. He later wrote, It definitely seemed to me that the Japanese were becoming weaker and weaker. They were surrounded by the Navy, they couldn't get any imports, and they couldn't export anything. Naturally, as time went on and the war developed in our favour, it was quite logical to hope and expect that with the proper kind of a warning, the Japanese would then be in a position to make peace, which would have made it unnecessary for us to drop the bomb and have had to bring Russia in. Louis Strauss, special assistant to the Secretary of the Navy, said that uh, before the bombing, he gave a recommendation to the Secretary of the Navy, James Forrestal. I proposed to Secretary Forrestal that the weapon should be demonstrated before it was used. Primarily, it was because it was clear to a number of people, myself among them, that the war was very nearly over. The Japanese were nearly ready to capitulate. My proposal to the Secretary was that the weapon should be demonstrated over some area accessible to Japanese observers and where its effects would be dramatic. I remember suggesting that a satisfactory place for such a demonstration would be a large forest of cryptomeria trees not far from Tokyo. The cryptomeria tree is the Japanese version of our redwood. I anticipated that a bomb detonated at a suitable height above such a forest would lay the trees out in windrows from the centre of the explosion in all directions as though they were matchsticks, and of course set them afire in the centre. It seemed to me that a demonstration of this sort could prove to the Japanese that we could destroy any of their cities at will. Secretary Forrestal agreed wholeheartedly with the recommendation. Paul Nitz... Vice Chairman, U.S. Strategic Bombing Survey. In July of 1945, he was assigned the task of writing a strategy for the air attack on Japan. He later wrote, While I was working on the new plan of air attack, I concluded that even without the atomic bomb, Japan was likely to surrender in a matter of months. My own view was that Japan would capitulate by November 1945. The US Strategic Bombing Survey Group, which Truman had uh, assigned to study air attacks on Japan, produced Mm -hmm. a report in July of 1946, primarily written by Paul Nitz, where he said, based on a detailed investigation of all the facts and supported by the testimony of the surviving Japanese leaders involved, it is the survey's opinion that certainly prior to the 31st of December 1945 and in all probability prior to the 1st of November 1945, Japan would have surrendered, even if the atomic bombs had not been dropped, even if Russia had not entered the war, and even if no invasion had been planned or
1: contemplated. But Truman Truman, spoke earlier about wanting to end the war, certainly by 40, at the end of forty-five, but certainly as soon as he possibly could. Um, so I, so I just wonder about, yeah, so if they don't drop the bomb and they wait two or three more months, theoretically Japan would have surrendered, but it's his job to end the war. And I'm not justifying it or anything, but it's his job to end the war as soon as they possibly can. This is costing American lives. This is costing a ton of money. This is not helping anybody. We need this war over with. Not that that justifies killing all these people with atomic weapons, but it's Truman's job to focus on ending this war as fast as he possibly can, I guess with any means possible.
0: Well, the other thing that we won't get into in this episode, we'll get into in the next episode, is the timing of the bomb. hmm Now, when was the first bomb dropped on Hiroshima, Ray? August 6th. When had Stalin said the Russians would uh, enter the war?
1: Mid August at the latest. Mm-hmm. So, the timing
0: here is interesting. <clears throat> what do you think would have happened if Stalin had declared that he was ending his neutrality pact with Japan and the mighty Red Army was joining the war against Japan, which was already on its fucking knees? Now right. the Russians were get, or the Soviets were getting involved. Uh, what would have happened then?
1: Um, well, it would have been over. I mean, there's no way that Japan could stand up to to both armies. So, if if
0: uh, Truman had waited a week, mm-hmm. uh it's a good chance they would have surrendered. And, in fact, that is kind of what happened. Uh, Hirohito, when he gave his speech, uh, Rescript to the Soldiers and Sailors on August 17th, what he talked about as their reason for surrendering wasn't Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It was the fact that the Soviets had gotten involved in the war. Right. Right. So the question is, if Truman had waited a week until Stalin announced the Soviets were getting involved in the war, would it have been over then? If they had said, if they had, if they had waited for the Soviets to announce they were getting involved, and as everyone says, they should have been very clear about the role of the emperor moving forwards post a surrender. Mm hmm and thirdly, maybe given them a demonstration of the bomb, it still could have been wrapped up in August, quite possibly, without having to kill hundreds of thousands of civilians. But neither, well, but, but none of those three things were given an opportunity to work. Right. Anyway, some food for thought there for... Particularly our American listeners. Um, no reviews again this week. <clears throat> we do have some new heroes I want to thank before we close up mm-hmm. Michael Haddock, Brendan Hurd, Felix Stone, Andrew Hung. Andrew, his middle name's Well Hung. <coughs> ben Fitzgerald, Natalie Jabiras. And if it's not, he should get a change by Depot. Jerry, Jerry Martin, Andrew Knight, Candace Argett, Christopher Vaccaro, Darius Piniak. Pin- John Simmons, Truckee John, hey John, Danny West, Dustin T., Matthew Leverington, Dan Dubrovsky, Scott Howell, Azia Zaragoza, John Forrest, Taylor Jackson, Neville Mosey, James Delaney, Sean Huang, Mark Meyer, Dave Lane, Josh Keogh, Tristan Lewis, David Churnside, George Button, Kevin Brewer, Michael Lees, Grant Lloyd, Wolf Lorian and Jesse Proctor are our new DEF CON 1 supporters. And you, Matthew James. Conrad, uh, Kimberly Berry, and Richard Sumner, I think I met, might have mentioned Kimberly last time, but anyway, are uh, our new DEF CON 2 supporters. I may have mentioned them last time as well. Anyway, thank you. I don't know, but uh, thank you. Thank you anyway. Yes. Anyway, double thank yous, DEF CON 2s. Thank you for your support. We appreciate it, particularly Ray uh, appreciates it. <laughs> and... <laughs> uh, that's where we'll leave it with the unnecessary atomic bombings. The only atomic bombings so far, although Donald Trump is trying to get them back. he's trying to bring it back. Yeah. Try uh, and bring it back into vogue. Yeah. But the only vogue, yeah. atomic bombings so far in human history, uh, which apparently were completely unnecessary. With that thought, we'll be back next time.
1: across the continent of the soviet military build-up on the island of cuba the purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the western hemisphere